All right, good morning. All right, great to see all of you here this morning. Uh, just to kind of begin our discussion, I wanted to just give you a little question. Maybe you could just share with the person next to you. Uh, any stressful situation at work that you faced recently? Okay, just anything. You can just kind of share it, and it'll kind of deepen our discussion that we're going into tonight, or this morning, I'm sorry. So turn to your neighbor. Just share any stressful situation that you faced recently at work. Go ahead. All right, sorry to cut you off, um, <laughs> just for the sake of time. Uh, you know, a lot of things at work can be stressful. Um, one of the most stressing things uh, could be when you have to take a lead uh, on a new product. It's a new launch, or you're taking a promotion, and you're trying to kick it off, and there's people's expectations. You want to show well. You want to make a really good first impression. And so, you know, there's stress that comes with that. I still remember when I became a youth pastor for the first time, and this is my first year in seminary. So talk about being not ready for the job at hand. My first sermon, I couldn't sleep a wink. I was so stressed out. Every time I closed my eyes, what would, you know, can you imagine what I was thinking? Oh, that intro so bad. You know, like you got to change point two. I get back up and I start working. Uh, I remember I even had another friend of mine who was preaching his first sermon. He asked me to come, and so I was in the back of the room trying to listen to him. And uh, he's so nervous, you could already tell. He gets up there, his voice is like starting to a little shake, and he's like, all right, let's pray. And in my mind, I was thinking, if he gets through this prayer, I think he'll be okay. But first word of his prayer, his voice cracks. Father God! <laughs> and I, I, this is the sin in me. I'm in the back of the room. I'm cracking up. I mean, I can't pay attention to the prayer. I can't pay attention to the sermon anymore. I mean, I'm just dying. It just because sometimes the burden and the responsibility become so large. And this is for anyone, right? Uh, there was a guy named Bill Russell. I don't know if any of you guys know who Bill Russell is. He was one of the greatest basketball players to ever play. Uh, here's a picture of him. And uh, 11 championships with the Boston Celtics. I'm not a Boston Celtics fan. Uh, five NBA uh, MVPs. He was known as the greatest defender. Ever. Did you know, because of the burden of what he was doing, he was known to have in his first rookie year, he threw up every game before it started. Literally could not stop himself. Every game. And this guy is considered one of the best to ever play the game. Sometimes the burden and responsibility of the calling that God gives, even for us in our lives, can be huge. And it can seem daunting. You see here, we're talking about basketball. But what if there were lives at stake? What if what you were going to start was a battle? Can you imagine the burden? Because that's where we find Joshua this morning. We're in Joshua 5. Joshua 6 is the battle at Jericho. Just about to go in. And so chapter 5 is all about spiritual preparedness. And so if you read the whole chapter, it talks about how they do the circumcision, they have the Passover feast. So there's all this spiritual preparedness. And now we come to this random section in verse 13, 14, and 15, right before they're about to go into battle. There are three movements in this text that we're going to read. And uh, the first one I want you to see, I want you to get a sense of the burden of the battle at hand. Because that's where we find Joshua. My brothers and sisters, the Bible tells us, right? Uh, we walk by faith, not by sight. Right? Amen? The problem 
is we see really well. Our sight is too good. And sometimes we can't get past our sight. And you see here in Joshua, one of the things that you need to know is in verse 13, he tells us that when Joshua was by Jericho, why is he by Jericho? Because commentators all say that he was there scouting and preparing because from the world's kind of viewpoint, from man's perspective, this is a battle they cannot win. And so he's planning and stressing and trying to figure out how is this going to work because he was one of the scouts. He went in. He knows that Jericho is one of the most fortified cities in all of Canaan. Not only that, they don't have battering rams, they don't have flamethrowers, they don't have any of that stuff. So it looks like, from their sight, it doesn't look like it's a battle that's going to work out well. Think about if you're the leader. Think about, place yourself in Joshua's shoes. How do you think you're going to feel? Can you imagine the burden of that? Lives could be lost. He is by Jericho trying to figure this thing out. I want to give you a verse. And this is something I think you guys should write down, highlight in your Bible, memorize. And this is from Proverbs 16, 9. I don't know if you've ever read this, but it says this. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes steps. You know what Joshua is doing here? He's planning. He's planning because that's his heart. But you know what he's also doing? He's trying to establish his own steps. He's almost eliminating God from the process. Because all of a sudden, now it's about him. What if this doesn't work out well? How is this going to work out? And he's by Jericho scouting and scheming and prepping. And there's the burden of responsibility. And something interesting happens. Because the second movement is he comes and he has a vision. As he's in the midst of the burden and the preparedness and the planning, he has a vision of the commander of the Lord's army. And we know that this is God. And God comes to him. Because God knows. God knows where Joshua's heart is. So before he gives him the plan, in chapter 6, he gives them the person. He comes to him in person. And sometimes... Let's just be honest. We can obsess about the plan. Like we want to know the details. But God wants us to obsess over the person of Christ before we get so wrapped up about the plan. And so he comes here. Read with me, verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Now, this is clearly God. You know how you know? Well, because first of all, he says, Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. This should remind you of one chapter in the Bible. And you remember? It reminds you of who? Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3, where Yahweh God speaks to Moses and says, hey, very similarly, take off your sin. This is holy ground. Not only that, 
Joshua falls and worships this man drawn with the sword, and he receives the worship, doesn't he? An angel would not do that. For example, if you look at Revelations 22, 8 and 9, it says this. John gets a vision from an angel. And because of this great vision, he tries to worship the angel. You remember this? And what does the angel say? And this is the proper response of angels. He says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. That's the proper response of the angel. But because this man receives the worship, you know that this is God that comes. And he comes because he wants to address something in the heart of Joshua before he starts the battle. So Joshua asked him a question. What is that question? He says this, are you for us or for our adversaries? And obviously the answer should be what? Anyone? For you, Joshua, right? That should be the answer. That should be the expectation. But what is God's answer? He says, are you for us or are you for your adversaries? No. What? He doesn't even answer the question. He does, but kind of in a very Jesus-like way, right? Are you for us or are you for you? No. And you see Jesus doing this in the Gospels too. Do you remember that? They'll be talking, they'll say something, and then Jesus says something random, but it's very purposeful. One of my favorites uh, is Matthew 8, 19 and 20. And a man comes up, as they say, it's a scribe, and declares to Jesus, teacher, I will go wherever Right? I will go wherever you go. What do you expect Jesus to say to something like that? If you were that man, what do you expect? Jesus to be like what? Or something like, you know, hey, good, hey, common, good and faithful servant, man, yeah. I came for people like you, man. Right? Something. You know what Jesus says? He says, foxes have holes. <laughs> You're like, what? Can you imagine, I mean, like, can you imagine this man? I'm going to go wherever. I mean, just declaring it. I want to go wherever. Foxes have holes, man. Because Jesus, he does it purposefully because he wants to reveal a wrong preconceived notion in that man. Oh, you think you're going to just follow me? Do you know that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests? I don't have a home. I don't have a place to lay my head. You think it's just that easy to follow me? There is a cost. As you make that declaration, I want you to know something. Here, similarly, Joshua's like, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he's like, no. And here's the preconceived notion that Jesus is going to attack. Jesus doesn't come to side with man's agenda. He doesn't come to take sides, he comes to take over. Here, I think Joshua thought, oh yeah, uh, this is what we're doing. And you called me to it, God, so you're with us, right? And this revealing something in Joshua's heart that you need to be very careful of, and I need to be very careful of, which is, we sometimes 
Even in the godly things that we do in God's name, sometimes we can use that and make it just for us and for our agenda, for our own personal gain. And here, he's like, no, I know your heart at this moment. I'm obviously not for the Canaanites, but Joshua, I know what's in your heart. I'm not for you either. And he says something really powerful. He says, no, I am the, right, the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. See, when God comes, he's trying to remind Joshua, I'm not here to follow you. You're here to follow me. This is my cause. This is not your cause. And sometimes we can get caught up in that, can't we? Right? We just kind of add God to what we're trying to do. Hey, God, this is for you, but really it's for us, and can you just bless it? Instead of having Jesus come and just overtake everything and just kind of submitting and following his will. Um, there was a, a pastor. It was pretty publicly well-known. He was kind of was an infamous man. But he wrote a book, and he manipulated the book sales. So he hired a publishing company to buy 10,000 of his books so that he can be on the New York's number one seller list. Because he thought, you know, maybe like, oh, maybe millions will buy it because now it's on the New York bestseller list. Or maybe it'll be better for my name so my name can get out there. This is in the name of God he wrote this book. And see, we got to be careful. Because all of us, even if God has called us to it, it could be very easy to make it just our personal agenda and we use that for our personal gain And God is calling and rebuking Joshua here and saying, you are not in the right place. It's not about you. This is about me and the victories in me, not in your planning, not in your scheming. In 1 Timothy um, chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, Paul is speaking to Timothy, and he talks about leaders that are doing it the wrong way, in a way that doesn't honor God. And he says this, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an, check these two words out, unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil, suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. See, this was even a problem in the early church, where you use the name of God, but you have an unhealthy craving for what? Your own personal gain. And here, God is literally rebuking Joshua and saying, no, I'm not on your side. I'm not on their side. I'm the commander. This is about me. This is what Abraham Lincoln said, and I think it's very profound and fitting for our text this morning. It says this, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side. So we have to ask ourselves, is Jesus taking over your life? Or do you have your own agendas? And you're just trying to add Jesus so that he can bless it. Is he just a part of your life? My brothers and sisters, that ought not be. Jesus is our life. Amen? 
He is our life. This is why Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That should be our declaration. And for some reason, because of the burden of the responsibility of leading this group into battle, Joshua, for some reason, had missed that point. The third thing we see here is that he gets corrected. And he gets right. Because now all of a sudden, having come in contact with the God Almighty, we find them in a posture of worship and submission. Verse 14, let's read again. It says this. And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord, and now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Now, stop real quick there. What happens? He comes, gets rebuked, and what does he do? He falls and worships Almighty God. He gets back up and he asks a question. What is that question? He says, what does my Lord say to his servant? And I think the expectation there was, oh, I worshiped you, now what? Uh, Give me what you want me to do. How is Jericho going to go? And what does God respond with? Well, he says this. Verse 15. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. You hear what God is doing there? He falls down in worship, gets back up. Now, okay, what word do you have for me? Why don't you worship again? Take off your sandals. Worship again. This is very important. What God desires for each and every one of us, he's not here to use us to accomplish something for him, and that would be great. You know what God desires? He desires worship from us. He desires a relationship where we recognize who he is, where we take off our sin. We recognize his holiness, and we submit to his will, and we walk in worship of the living God. See, Joshua had become too consumed with the plan or the battle, and that's great. Don't forget your primary objective. Jesus didn't die for us, so we can do stuff. Jesus dies for a relationship with the living God. Amen? That's what he's calling us to. And he's reminding Joshua, he's like, worship. What are you on now? What, what word? Worship again. Get on. This is holy ground. Um, There was an article on Christianity Today. And the title, uh, if we could shoot that up, Scott. uh, It said, God is not the object of our worship. It's talking about kind of the the church culture of today. And it said in this article, there's a me-centered narcissistic culture of worship in the church today. We fit God around our schedule, our agendas, our time constraints, ask for our wants and our desires. And that is not worship. And I wonder if that's what we're doing. I wonder if we struggle with that. I wonder if I struggle with that. Because we need to understand that what God desires is a true worship and recognition to who he is. Uh, you know, there was kind of, it's kind of a little funny, and I, I hate to do this when it's such a serious topic, but there was a worship man who wanted to write some songs 
that would look like how they really live out life. Because, you know, they sing so many songs, and, and it's great. But they were like, you know what? What would it look like if we wrote songs that really reflected our daily life? This is what they came up with, so you can take a look. I will sing of your love on Sundays. Only sing of your love on Sundays. I will sing of your love on Sundays. Then this feeling is gone by Thank you for enduring that. Um, you know, when I first watched that, I was like, this is so ridiculous. What's, can you imagine them practicing that and stuff, right? Uh, but then taking a step back, actually, it started to really kind of speak to me. It started to really humble me because I started to kind of wonder, like, if I really would sing songs that would reflect my life, how would that look? You know, I... Chris and our worship band, they do such a great job. 
But how ridiculous would it be if they just did this and then six days out of the week, God is absent. That would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? That just wouldn't make any sense. And here, I want you to remind it that just like Jesus came, right, to save Israel, to save his people as they're going to Jericho, he comes for us and he saves us. And now we have access to the Father through the blood and the body that was shed and broken on our behalf. And I want to say this gently but firmly. How dare we so casually walk into his presence? Or how dare we only visit just when it's convenient? I pray that you would allow these words to soak in. Before the battle, before the things that you are burdened with or before the responsibilities that you have, what God desires is that you would fall on your feet just worship and submit to who he is and to each and every day just wake up looking at him following because he loves you and he has died for you and he is holding your hand he doesn't love you because you do stuff for him he loves you because of his son Jesus Christ which covers all those and I don't know if you've been obsessing over the plan I don't know if you've been burdened by the responsibility but I want you to know we have victory in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so let's draw near to him. Be reminded to just walk with him each and every day. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 73, 25. It says this, Who am I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, and I love this, and I hope this will be the declaration of our church. It is good to be near God. Amen? It is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. I'm telling you right now, my brothers and sisters, you're all busy. The struggle is going to be, hey, I got to get to this, I got to get to that, I got to get to this. And maybe some of that is in the name of God. Don't be fooled. Without walking in an intimate relationship with the Lord, it's foolishness. Would you just submit to who he is? Would you recognize his holiness and his his lordship over your life. I want to give you a little homework this week, okay? Just to kind of apply it, because I love how this ends. How does this verse 15 end? Do you see that? It's a short phrase. What, is, what does it say? And Joshua, what? Did so. He didn't sit there and just think about it. That, that's good. I'll think about that some more. I'm going to journal about it. What does he do? He puts it into action. I want to challenge you. You've heard so many times, yeah, it's so good. You need to do some quality time with the Lord. You need to carve out time. Make sure he's priority number one. It's a struggle for all of us. I want to challenge you this week. Every time you get in your car to pray or read a Bible verse, 
Because my life is crazy too. So that's what I've been doing. So before I start driving anywhere, 10, 15 seconds, I'll say a quick prayer. I keep a book. It's like a little book, and I'll show it to you. This is from Paul David Tripp. It says, New Morning Mercies. I just keep it in my, side, in my car. You know why? Because I don't like reading books. But every time I get in my car, I look at it and I say, I should read that. So I'll stop. And you'll see me sometimes at the office, and I'll be in the car for 10, 15 minutes. Because once I get out, I know what's going to happen. What's going to happen? It's going to be chaos. But I'm telling you right now, God desires an intimate fellowship. I want to challenge you this week. Whatever it takes, let's not put our agenda over our relationship with our wonderful and good Father. If you know the person next to you and you came with them, can you look at them and just say, hey, I want to keep you accountable on this. Can you do that real quick? All right. If you don't know them, please don't do that because you're going to lie. Okay? You're just lying. All right? All right? But I'm telling you right now, I mean, and the, the word of God just said, it, Joshua, he did, he did so. Let's be doers of God's word. Let's put it into action. I guarantee it will renew your mind. You keep your focus on Christ. And that's the best place to be. Amen? Let's pray together. God, we just thank you that you all, God Almighty, would des- it just blows our mind that you would desire to hear from us, that you would desire for us to come to you. First, we want to just thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that through his sacrifice, even though he knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf so that we might know the righteousness of God and have right standing with you, God. And now that relationship, that be, that's such a privilege for us. Help us to pursue it. Help us in this, God. You know us. You know our schedules. Help us, God, in this. We pray. <coughs> Your son, in his precious name we pray.